Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where you explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both systems' reliability and the lives of people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Tiago Barbosa, and you can find me on Twitter at TiagoB using the number one for the letter I. Welcome, Aitor. Nice to see you again. And uh, yeah, welcome to the show for everyone that is um, uh, listening to the podcast episode. So we are going to um, discuss open source communities and open source with Aitor Lessa from AWS. Welcome, Aitor. Thanks for having me. Hey, good to see you again. <laughs> yeah, same. So we worked previously uh, at AWS a few years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. The same team, uh, you were doing slightly different thing, but already working on AWS Power Tools. So please give us a quick introduction on what you have been doing with AWS in the last few years and, uh, well, basically your background. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, so I'm Etolessa for everyone who hasn't, uh, who I haven't met yet before. I'm a chief architect in a product called Power Tools for AWS. It's a fancy job title, just to basically say that I do the execution, the planning, working with communities, a bunch of different roles, tech writers, and so forth. This product, Power Tools for AWS, is a developer toolkit. It helps customers uh, implement serverless best practices, which are defined in a project called AWS Well Architected, which was luckily part of it to help alter the serverless best practices as well. So it, they go hand in hand, but eventually over the years, this project, which I thought it would be a nice way to showcase, it could be easier to implement these practices, blew up in the sense that it became way, way, way too popular. From a project that was literally trying to do this on a weekend and as anything else <laughs> that you don't really expect much of an adoption, uh, it went from uh, simple downloads like 10, 100 downloads a month to now 44, 45 million downloads a year to thousands and thousands of customers. I can't share the specifics, but we were aggregating actually just last week <laughs> when we were doing operational planning and we handled something like trillions of API integrations with this project as well. So it's definitely no longer a toy and I'm more than happy to share all the challenges and, and how this came from a very little tiny project to a, having a full dedicated team now. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And uh, so with AWS Lambda Power Tools, you have support for different languages. I know that Python is like your main one, right? But you also have support for other languages, right? Yeah, absolutely. So PowerTools is in four languages today, Python, TypeScript, .NET, and Java. Python leads the way, largely because uh, serverless is, is huge in, in Python, but also because Python has a quite diverse set of people using the programming language for all kinds of tasks. PowerTools is definitely initially focused on developers, but eventually we found out that a lot of data engineers, data scientists, platform engineers, and DevOps, folks, and even AppSec related recently, starting to use PowerTools. But TypeScript is now the fastest growing in terms of adoption numbers. Yeah. Cool. And do you have an idea? So I know that you have a bunch of uh, different uh, features. So you have like these core capabilities, right, related to uh, metrics, logging and tracing, but then you have a lot more. And you, you already mentioned that Python kind of leads the way uh, from that. And now other languages are keeping up. Do you have an idea of how many do you have, how many features or capabilities you have right now? 
Yeah, I was trying to count it now because we are adding more <laughs> <laughs> next month. Um, I think features-wise, uh, I think it was 56 plus, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but what we call utilities, which is kind of a more of a major feature like Tracer, then we have around like 15 of those. Because of the nature of open source, we started with observability, but it ended up becoming more of a Someone called it a last week, actually. A customer said, this is no longer the observability toolkit or a serverless developer toolkit. This is kind of a modern application toolkit framework type. So it goes from observability, batch processing, item potency, feature flags, and uh, whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, as, as you said, it's, it's part of like bringing best practices and improving developer experience. So it, Observability is one of the main problems or major problems that you started to kind of try to solve initially, but then it grew something else. And that's, um, it's a very com complete tool right now. So shifting a little bit into the community side of things, because this is a tool that, as you said, started as uh, a hobby that you were doing during the weekends and free time. And now it's, it has its own team contributing to these tools. And you also have people from the community, people that don't necessarily or that don't work for AWS also contributing to the tools. Was this planned? How did you manage to grow the team internally and uh, how you managed to grow the community and keep it active? So it was planned, but not at this proportion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do I mean by that? So when I wrote um, with uh, other other folks as well, I wasn't the only one. I was just leading the write-up and all the processes to all of the serverless best practices for AWS. There was a clear need in the market for frameworks that would adapt uh, the likes of uh, Spring Boot and Flask, Django, and Node.js Express and whatnot to something that would fit Lambda. But that means a lot of institutional knowledge in how developers love writing APIs and authorization to basically build applications into something that it would work for Lambda that you don't even have to make a judgment call anymore of no longer using the tools you love just to use Lambda. It shouldn't be a question of a choice anymore. So that was a kind of a vision. It's, it's in, I want people to have no longer that discussion of, oh, I have to only use Node.js if I want to use Lambda because the tools are all there. The community is all behind there. So I, I had that clear in my head on what I wanted to do. And the other piece that was clear, but I had to obviously evolved <laughs> the clarity of thinking, uh, was I knew I wouldn't be able to do it alone because it's too big. I don't come from a development background. I had to learn all the way. I still learn a lot every day. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what I planned was I, I'm going to try this thing out, but I will primarily work with the community because I have no guarantees that the company would actually fund this. And I would start as an experiment. That's why we started ending to the AWS labs and it was clearly called out. And so everything I did, which was super hard, if I'm honest, was force myself to work in public. Mm -hmm. And by working in public, I was always trying to work building this community aspect externally and internally. But nowadays, it's like I was I was trying to count as we were as we were speaking. Just last year, we had a thousand three hundred pull requests and changes as a whole, and roughly sixty seven percent came from the community. Okay, yeah, that's that's a lot, and that's really good to see because it's very difficult to grow a community that 
stays there and, and keeps like contributing to the product for a long time. And so it is really good to see that you get those those numbers and you have a lot of contributions from the from the community. It's definitely relevant. And one point that I wanted to dig a little bit deeper on is you said that you weren't sure that the company would invest in this kind of component that you were building initially, like a small component that you that you were building initially that is now much larger. So was it very difficult to sell this and how did you do it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of trying to fish for some tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyone working in open source, you get that thrill of building a community. And especially if you come from a startup background where you wear multiple hats, open source is amazing for that because it tests your skills in every single level. Uh, I read a quote somewhere. I can't remember who said it. But that's something like, Maintaining an open source project is like running a business you didn't know you had. <laughs> and when I looked into the open source and everything kind of became my life uh, post business hours, <laughs> I've noticed that, that, hang on, this is actually a business without actually making money. Uh, it would be very, very difficult to get buy-in and investment, especially when we have uh, funded uh, places like AWS SDKs and others, which uh, they do a stellar job and they're way more effective than me just building the SDKs, which is why power tools builds on top of these things. So when I was questioning myself on that one, I was thinking, what is it that resonates with the company? But obviously I can't knock on every single door asking for investment. This is a business that has to run at the end of the day. I also had my day-to-day -day job. So what I did was trying to map out the leadership in the organization that was in inside AWS, and then trying to work out their incentives and the goals that I was also aligned. Because at the end of the day, it has to be a two-way kind of a street where doing something like this also helps their goals and whatnot. So it wasn't so much about let's build Power Tools and get investment because Power Tools is awesome. It was more like, how do I make Power Tools crucial to the business and to the community without losing the integrity and the vision, the tenants, et cetera. So that was a very hard one. After I figured that out on what was important and such, I had to group the challenges I had in front of me into two. Customer adoption, the popularity, how many downloads you have, and who's actually kind of a using by afar, because you can only tell by making comments and then go there from the GitHub and then you see which company they work for, but that's not really sustainable, is it? And then the second one was, okay, downloads is great when you start and GitHub starts like, yay, it's popular. But <laughs> what does it actually mean at the end of the day? So I needed to find out the commercial impact when Power Tools was used and what exactly was contributing to for the other organizations consuming it and the plethora of personas that I mentioned earlier. So that it became um, trying to discover solutions for that. How do I track without getting in the way because especially lambda because you pay every millisecond of it so adding something intrusive it would be against our tenants first off and second we're not gonna uh, add something that you know, we force customers to be tracked for the sake of getting investment so it took four years of trial and error <laughs> until we got it if i were to summarize was trying to explain the customer adoption angle the commercial impact to the business and how he worked with the rest of the organization and the goals that the organization had. Explaining that this was aligned, this was a boost 
and augmented their commercial initiatives, etc., then it became an easier to palate or to digest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Another thing that I, that you mentioned already, I think twice is one is you decided to build this in public, right? And this is something that you kind of struggled a little bit with because it was not natural, from what I understood. And the second thing is that it took like four years, right, to get to this point. And uh, one of the things that we see like in social media these days is that there are a lot of people trying to like build in public and expect success in one year. And everyone is, I'm going to build these like six different SaaS services and products this year. And yeah, I'm going to reach, I don't know, X amount of money. And this is my goal for the year. And it's all always like that, right? And it, it, actually, there are very few cases where you can actually do this. Uh, so it takes a long time. Even if you just start something today, there's a lot of work that you did in the past, a lot of failures <laughs> and challenges that you've been through in the, in the past. So my question is, there are many challenges, I bet, that you faced during these last four years in throwing power tools to the scale that it has today. So... Can you share with us some some of the challenges that you face, some of the the main uh, difficulties that you faced? I don't know, growing the community, uh, interacting with the community, or even internally, some of the challenges that you had that um, you would like to give us some advices on. Yeah, if I think from a timeline, the first challenge of working in public is that imposter syndrome is actually augmented in a way that you are the spotlight now. Everyone sees every code change you make, every rationale you, you you put out there, the way you write and everything else. So it definitely took me a lot of time to get used to that. Only now I know that it's not natural. Even onboarding someone to the team now can take four months, eight months to get to that rhythm and to get comfortable with that, that piece. Against uh, the first challenge, it came from a book that's called uh, Working in Public. I forgot the whole cover, but I can send you the link to people listening later. There's an issue that's called uh, maintainer's attention depletion. When you're building a community for marketing purposes, it's amazing that you have people reacting and contributing and working together and speaking about these things, which is what you want. You want these reactions. You want this viral effect. In an open source, it could be life or death in, in the figurative way that a project could be very, very popular, can go to the Hacker News page or uh, you name it. But it could also mean that this now person who's working by himself, by herself, uh, could be now out of the blue, completely devoid of time to do anything because everything else is responding to people, answering everything, and the internet is not kind. You also (laughs) have uh, the opposite side of the fence, which you barely talked about on how... Uh, toxic it can become when people start demanding things or when they start contributing and then they think you own them something as well in return so there's so many uh, tracks that it takes a while to navigate so soft skills is something that i had to learn a lot especially writing and learning the hardest for me which was let me close the laptop i won't argue today (laughs) this is not the time and it's different from the day-to-day work because you're always receiving messages on your phone, the community, and you kind of want people to work and contribute. So that was definitely the challenge number one. I think the challenge number two was getting into that phase where, as you mentioned as well, I had this idea that you, had to, you have to be 
like a 10x engineer. You have to be one of those uh, uh, brains, big brains to build something super clever engineering-wise. And what I noticed was actually those big brains are already doing some of the work for me, the AWS SDK and some of those amazing people. All I need to do now is the more human side of uh, user experience, the attention to details, a great documentation. So what I learned on that challenge was uh, it wasn't so much about building something on the weekend that would be so popular and so forth. This rarely lasts. What I learned was consistency was key. As more on growing the same thing for a while and planning and adjusting your plan, sticking with revision, but adjusting the details and bringing people along with the journey and trying to uh, be vulnerable because that's what bonds us as human beings. Mm -hmm. And this was super great because I went from, oh my God, everyone will see how a fraud I am (laughs) to, oh, I love this thing. I'm working with so many people. I'm learning so much. And now I'm learning from people who are excellent at APIs. Others are excellent at cryptography. Others are fantastic at data pipelines. So I became a sponge in trying to learn from those things. So those were kind of a, uh, the two major challenges, if I will. And then lastly, as we, talk, we already talked to you, was this is becoming too big. <laughs> how do I stop it from, from dying? And how do I get investments? but in a way that doesn't become an empire because otherwise you would, you would change the heart of it. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. And, and I, I think you, you touched a, a really important point there. And one of the things that I always use as a reference in my projects is the way that you do like release notes, right? So you have, in every release you have, so typically in the projects, you just have like all the commits that go in that specific release, but you don't, right? So in AWS Power Tool, Lambda Power Tools, basically you have like a summary of the changes with screenshots and all that stuff. So it's really well documented. So people don't need to actually go into the commits to understand what was added on that specific release. You have more humanly (laughs) or human readable information uh, on your release notes and that's perfect. And there's a lot of investment as well, if I'm correct, a lot of investment as well in, in automating that, right? Because as you said, you need to scale. <laughs> You're just one man doing that job or now you have a team, but if different people do the same job, we would do it differently, right? So there's a lot of investment in automation, correct? Oh, absolutely. We In, in our documentation, which again, we can send the link, there's a, a page that says processes and it has some of the automation in CICD, uh, our whole release processes, even a single release, it goes with something like nearly 200 deployments in a single release. Hmm. All the checks and everything else is automated. I also, another challenge and also learning was all these amazing projects that I saw and trying to learn from of all these super clever people and whatnot is I noticed that there was always so much pressure or, or rush to make a release because they spent so much time releasing something, uh, working on something. And for me, it was how are my customers going to know how much effort I put in into that release? Uh, what if they're not developers, which is basically our secret sauce? What if I'm actually going for something that everyone should understand. And if they're developers, they can get extra details, extra sauce, if you like. Uh, so we automate nearly everything except one or two things that we, sh- we will never automate. And that's our decision, unless I guess it never is too much, but <laughs> you get the point. Um, release notes is one. Release notes for me 
as a philosophy is this is your time as an open source maintainer to go out there and tell them, consumers, everyone, the whole community, who actually contributed to this release. What exactly is in there for them? Why should they upgrade in the first place? Even upgrade guides, major releases, we spent months actually writing these things as well. And the second is documentation. People over time, over the years, especially after we, we went way above the 20 million downloads and such and, and grew fantastically well, was a lot of people came because people recommended. We didn't do any marketing, which was amazing as well. Mm-hmm. And it was only the word of mouth. And they came in, tried the feature, they liked the experience, but they stayed because of the documentation, how we interact with the community, etc. So this human element is like I would never try to automate. I tried a few things once and it was always too much of a of a gut feeling. Now my biggest challenge for the next few years is to document an operational model publicly on the different activities and roles someone plays in Power Tools, but it could equally be applied elsewhere, and create a training on how to write these things in public, how to write documents with these notes. Yeah, I would pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's really that's really cool. In in the um, yeah, as as you said, this is something that that you've learned also from others projects that you were using, and you learned from 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 the community, and you are. One of the mechanisms that you are using to give back to the community as well is just uh, giving them visibility when they are part of this new release. They have contributed with something, not necessarily code, right? So might be just contributing to docs or or, or uh, something else, but basically you are giving them visibility, and that's that's really important for um, people that are contributing to open source projects to be recognized. A hundred percent. Yeah, there's definitely this misconception that a contribution is code when the hardest thing is documentation, <laughs> which is why we spend so much time because we know how hard it is. But it's also even contributions like making a, a comment with a detailed explanation on your reasoning why something is good or something is bad, or even something like I wrote a blog post, let me contribute by saying I wrote this blog post, would you like to feature this or or you name it. In our Power Tools, we have even documented now for the first time, if you never contributed to the project, here's the types of contributions you can make. Even after all this, you don't even know where to begin. Here's some ideas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. Do you also run like a Discord channel or Slack channel or something like that for, uh, for Power Tools? We do, yeah. So we had Slack for a long time, and then we had to migrate to Discord. And now it's roughly 600 people plus. The only thing we ha- we're not doing yet, which maybe this year, possibly, ne- definitely next year, this year there's a lot of operational focus, is to start running public office hours. We don't do that yet. Yeah, okay. Would you say that that's one of the like main priorities for uh, what's coming for, uh, for Power Tools and how you interact and manage the community? I think community-wise, definitely, yeah. I think office hours is one of those great uh, aspects of being there and listening to everyone. But I also know many people feel that they're also going to be on the spotlight. I want to do a different office hours after watching and listening to many office hours from different open source projects, including uh, some of those very big projects. I want to do it differently. 
maybe we'll go wrong but we'll never know <laughs> i want you uh, this year we focus we will focus a lot more on operational excellence how do we do features how do we plan things how do we do marketing how do we go back to the community and such is to try and do our product planning in public open up a line discord chime i don't know you name it and allow people to join I'm not necessarily looking at input, but at least tell them, here's how we're going to plan those features. Here's how your input matters. And then eventually we can open up for people. But so they can see that there's a lot more than just making a pull request. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, Ator, just so we close this, this one, I have a challenge for you. So based on your experience with Power Tools and other open source projects that you are uh, contributing to, what would be like the one advice that you would give to people and what would be one thing that you would change if you could do something different? I think I will focus more now on, on, on people who are at companies. They have a day job and they, they, they love their companies and they, they, they might have an open source project that they would like to get funding or whatnot. I think my advice for you, uh, which it took me a while to learn, is... Don't worry too much about downloads. This is a popularity metric. This might not resonate well with your leadership. Try to understand from their side what it matters to them and see if you can work backwards from that or map out what your project could also do or potentially adjust. So then you can speak the same language and now you can work as a team and go beyond. One thing I would, I would change one thing that we're doing now this year, which is going to be a bit taxing, and I wish I had done it before, but we also didn't have that much of investment. So I can't necessarily blame me or anyone in the team. Nobody, it's, it's always like a team effort. No. Takes a village. Is I couldn't see an open source until now they were writing it. Uh, is it was very difficult to explain to anyone in leadership on if I were to hire someone to be in an open source position an open source maintainer, what does this person do? How do I measure? How do I track? How do I promote someone? So I'm now writing all these things now. And I wish I had spent more effort on that before we assembled the whole team, etc. We're obviously going well. <laughs> we're, we're getting by. But if we had this before, it would have been less chaotic. Let's put it this way. Yeah. No, cool. Well, Ator, thank you for sharing all these insights with us with me personally and in the in the audience it was a pleasure to have you on the um, on the show is there anything else that you want to share with the with the audience or i think i will share some links that's for sure uh the book i mentioned that some of the links from power Two, so people can join uh and also our discord so people can join and have this conversation as well perfect we'll have these, these links to the the podcast information and thank you so much once again for uh for joining us today it was a uh, Really good to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Pleasure as always. That does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pagetodelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pagetodelimit using the number two. That's at pagetodelimit to the limit. Let us know what you think of the show and thank you so much for joining us and remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.